Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort, and this is Comfort's Corner, where we bring you the inside story and what's happening in and around the transit industry as we recover from the COVID-19 crisis. And today, the first week of May, begins our new cadence for the program. As you know, we've been bringing you a special episode every other day for the month of uh, April and for much of March. And now in May, we're dropping the cadence back to every other week, and we'll continue to bring you your regular half-hour in-depth interviews with transit CEOs on the 15th and 30th of each month. So this is our Comforts Corner episode for the first week of May. And today, as always, we're going to bring you um, headline news and then a newsmaker interview and then a reading from our book, The Future of Public Transportation. And now for our headline news. Uh, many of you may have seen pictures of the New York Governor Cuomo out helping to clean the buses this weekend. Smart move on his part, I think. His uh, popularity rating I just read today is up to 77%. And uh, he's showing that transit is an important part of the recovery from COVID. And, and um, in New York City, there was, been, there was a story over the weekend in Politico talking about how subway riders are holding out hope for futuristic cleaning to restart the economy. But I wanted to read you portions of it because it does talk a lot about what everyone is talking about now, which is what's the best way we can recover from COVID-19, recover the ridership that we had. And folks, I think, know that on commuter services, uh, it may take a little bit longer. But on the regular subways, the light rail or tram systems and the buses, you know, can we get back to 70, 80 percent of our ridership as much of the country is opening back up this week here in the United States? So in New York, ultraviolet radiation robots that sanitize subway cars in a flash and nanoparticles that kill COVID-19 on bus poles and subway seats for three months nonstop after a single application. That's what people are talking about. And they're trying to, uh, the MTA in Baltimore is trying to work, uh, sorry, the MTA in New York, uh, Freudian slip there, is, uh, is working on uh, how to woo riders back to the nation's biggest transit system once the pandemic eases. And for them, you know, they're looking at all kinds of ideas. You'll recall that normally they would carry 5 million people a day on the transit system, the largest transit system in the country. And, um, you know, many folks have said they were a central conduit for the spread of COVID-19. Uh, but the economy is working, you know, the economy that people are wanting to open back up. And so uh, there's concern, even among some of the former leaders and leaders of transit systems, like, get this, Dick Ravitch, uh, the former MTA chairman who was credited with saving the subway from financial collapse in the 1980s, said this in an interview this week, quote, it's going to be a long time before I would let any member of my family into a crowded bus or subway, unquote. So I'll just leave that there and not make any comments. Officials are exploring the feasibility of taking the temperatures of some passengers before they enter the subway system. They're mining the experience of the global counterparts from Seoul to Milan, who are ahead of New York on the pandemic's trajectory. The MTA has begun applying a chemical compound to services in its subway and buses that authority officials say could continuously eradicate COVID-19 for up to three months. Uh, after a period of time, the MTA swabs the surfaces and sends the samples to a lab to determine if there are any microbes, germs, or viruses on them, said a, uh, an employee who was requesting anonymity. The MTA has declined to identify the chemical. It says is it applied to each of its subway cars and about a quarter of its buses, except to say it's an antimicrobial biostatic compound. And I noticed that I got an email over the weekend from an airline who said very similar statements that they were doing electrostatic application of microbial, my, microbial uh, compounds. So maybe it's a similar thing that they're looking in air travel as well. 
MTA Chairman Pat Foy, the current chair, said we're working with federal and other labs to determine whether the product has a virus killing efficacy that lasts beyond the initial application. Um, they say it doesn't pose, he says it doesn't pose any health issues. So um, now here's a couple other thoughts about things. Um, there's only out of the 5.5 million people that were riding MTA's subway system, now there's only about 450,000. So you can see the big drop under 10%. And uh, the MTA finances are fare dependent. It's facing financial stress, just like a lot of uh, transit agencies are. One councilman from Brooklyn named Brad Lander said, quote, what a tragedy that Andy Byford is not leading New York City transit right now, referring to the former transit chief who uh, resigned in January. Quote, we just had the system's best leader in a generation, and right at the moment that we need him, he's not there. And uh, you may recall all the, uh, uh, the issues that were around his uh, departure. So a uh, couple other tidbits from around the country. They're using UV also in New York. Uh, unlimited number of cars. According to Foy, they have uh, UV robots that they're looking at down the road that could help ultraviolet radiation. Uh, you know, the concern they have is that it, it uh, can help the issue, but then once it's gone, obviously uh, someone could reinfect whatever it touches. Major cities around the world are confronting similar issues. You may know that Beijing has been using artificial intelligence and handheld scanners to screen the temperatures of some subway passengers. It's also been requiring passengers to book access to particular stations on an app, according to Mohammed Mizgani, the Secretary General of the International Association of Public Transport. Seoul's Metro has announced it will sanitize its vehicles, get this, 14 times a day. Cities are staggering work, and that's a good thing, right? I mean, that's what you're going to have to do, I think, uh, is cleaning them more often and advertising. That's what I've been advocating, advertising to the public that you are doing this on a regular basis. Also, um, get this, Milan is marking circles on its subway and bus floors to show riders how to stand at a safe distance from each other. Where they can stand, where they can, systems are trying to increase train and bus frequency to increase capacity and reduce crowding. France and Italy have both mandated social distancing on their transit systems, but, you know, it doesn't seem it's that feasible. Again, the, the head of our I, uh, International Association of Public Transport says, uh, I would say social distancing and mass transportation are not compatible. So interesting. Uh, in other news, uh, a major transit system in Quebec, STL, is um, stepping up its bus service on May 9th in order to handle the gradual reopening of the economy. Uh, the bus service will be improved during the morning rush hour and bus frequency will be increased throughout the day. They're hoping to provide the local residents with safe service adapted to their needs. And um, so they are starting to ramp up and I'm starting to hear that around the industry that systems are ramping up and places like NJT, New Jersey Transit, are starting to make more testing available for its employees. And um, today, uh, earlier this week actually, um, COVID-19 testing was made available in East Rutherford to all New Jersey Transit employees through an agreement with a local lab and uh, employees will be received at an appointment only testing site. It's currently geared toward first responders and frontline health workers, and they are also expanding access to similar testing sites in Central and South Jersey. So uh, systems are coming up with ways to continue to protect their own employees. Systems are working on ways to protect the riders, and systems are starting to increase and plan for increasing service as the country starts to open back up. 
I think uh, this week more than half the states in America are starting to open up somewhat. And now the question is, what are the long-term implications of coronavirus on public transportation? Well, I've written an article that addresses exactly that. It'll be in this coming, this coming issue of Metro Magazine. It'll be online on Thursday of this week. Make sure you take a look at that and let me know what you think about it. And again, thanks so much for being with us today on Comfort's Corner as we bring you what's happening around the industry with headline news and now our newsmaker interview on this issue of Comfort's Corner. Thank you for being with us today on Comfort's Corner, part of Transit Unplugged. Our guest today on the Newsmaker Line is Josipa Petrunich, who is President and CEO of the Canadian Urban Transit Research and Innovation Consortium, QTRIC. Thanks so much for being with us today, Josipa. Thanks so much for having me, Paul. So you're one of the people, I think, who can talk as fast as me, maybe even faster. So <laughs> I'm very excited for today's show. <laughs> Always so, up for the competition. Yeah, there you go. So tell us a little bit about your organization and your role there. Sure. So QTRIC is, as you said, an urban transit research and innovation consortium. And basically what we do is technology innovation for transit and public fleets. That's all we do. So we focus on low carbon smart mobility technology demonstration projects that create new intellectual property, new hardware, new software, new jobs around low carbon tech. Uh, and really the goal is to make transit and public fleets faster, cleaner, greener and cheaper than single passenger cars ever could be through technology innovation. Very good. And what's your role been and how have you been helping transit agencies uh, respond to this COVID-19 crisis that's been a gut punch to ridership? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, as an innovation consortium, we're not a general transit association. I mean, there's great associations out there like CUDA, APTA, OPTA, ATUC, all of them, and they represent transit. And as you know, a lot of them have been arguing to make transit whole with the loss of revenue from the fare box. But what QTRIC does is just technology innovation. So our job is to think about how can we innovate and design technologies that can either solve the pandemic issue, address the pandemic issue, or better prepare us for a future that's even worse, if there's an even worse pandemic or catastrophe situation. So what we're doing at QDRIC is threefold. Uh, there's three things we're doing. One is we're going to be holding this workshop in a couple weeks. We're offering to everybody this free open three hour workshop. And it's really focusing on let's stop thinking about just reacting to the pandemic. Let's start thinking about how we can be proactive assets that are deployed to really address um, emergency needs, but also long-term catastrophe needs. So as an example, a couple weeks ago, we started looking around, well, what's happened around the world when Zika struck, when Ebola struck, when the Spanish flu struck, what did transit do and what did cities do? And there's a lot of ideas that came to the fore in this first envelope of what QTRIC has been able to do. We saw things like make sure that automatically billboards and any public advertising is immediately used for pandemic advertising, right? Immediately converted into a public space for dialogue. But then even getting into the more advanced kind of stuff, make sure that transit has in the future a plan to automatically become the paramedic service, an automatic transition to 40 footers and 60 foot buses becoming paramedic services and becoming medical personnel services. And even more so at the extreme level, uh, using buses as mobile testing facilities and potentially if things get really bad, and I'm not just talking about COVID, but what about COVID times 10 in the future, things get really bad, possibly even being a morgue service. Um, so at what point do we turn around and say, look, these are assets, these 40 foot and 60 foot buses or streetcars or subways, they are actually assets and they could actually be 
be used proactively to deploy and, and move people in a way they need to be moved in order to overcome the stresses of a pandemic or a climate crisis. So that's the first thing we've been doing is focusing attention on not just the reaction because associations are doing a really good job of that. We're thinking about what happens in a year, 10 years time, 30 years time when COVID times 10 comes back with a vengeance and it's even worse. So deployment plans around that. And one of the things that have come out of that is of course also the idea of virtual uh, operations. So is it the fact that we could design innovative technology plans that allow us to operate subways from our living rooms? Is that possible? And that's what we're going to be talking about in that workshop in a couple weeks. So that's the first thing we've been doing. Uh, the second thing we've been doing is looking at our membership base and saying, look, are there places where autonomous connected vehicles, um, data controlled vehicles, optimized systems, fleet deployment control systems can be utilized to move vehicles around in a way that is safe or move people around in a way that is safe without exposing our frontline staff in the transit industry. So yes, there is. I mean, autonomous and connected vehicles have a lot of opportunity. And so we're looking at our membership base right now as part of our National Smart Vehicle Project, which was already looking to deploy autonomous connected vehicles across a number of cities in Canada. Is there a way that we can now put pandemic and catastrophe planning into that technology deployment so that these vehicle systems are designed with communication standards so they can actually be deployed in pandemic scenarios? So those are the first two big things. And then the third big thing that we're doing in this situation is our job is to keep you know climate crisis front and center to keep the technology innovation front and center so we've been working with the federal government right now trying to get the right kind of funding financing package available to do a national joint procurement around electric and hydrogen fuel cell buses because when money is tight and fares are, are drying up people are looking at cutbacks and we want to figure out a way to make sure that electric buses and fuel cell buses and all that great green tech still gets out the door despite covid and possibly as one way to create new jobs of the future I think that one of, thank you, that's, boy, you, that's a mouthful and that's a, a lot of work you guys are doing. Um, so, I, you know, speak, speaking about the climate uh, and just pollution in general, it, it's been the first time in a long time that people around like Los Angeles and other cities around the world, Beijing, et cetera, say, hey, the air is clean. I can see the sky for the first time. And uh, I think people are starting to see, hey, you know, if we did cut back some, on all this driving and maybe moved over toward clean buses, uh, maybe we could have this for a longer term future. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, when you take a look at electrified technology in particular, usually it's not the environment motivating people, whether it's electric cars uh, or it's electric buses, it generally has not been the environment, to be honest. What really is motivating not just fleets, but also cities is the operational cost savings. Now, where we find the immediate pickup are, are in those cities that have zero emissions targets or climate action emergencies declared, because you know already politically you have a welcoming audience. But in reality, when you're looking at high cost, highly complex and potentially risky systems integration, of electric or hydrogen fuel cell buses or automated buses. It's really not the hug the panda situation that's going to drive that decision making at town council or municipal council. It's not environmentalism often. It is really about dollars and cents. And so in this COVID crisis and in this pandemic, people have looked around and said, look how clean the air can get. But that is temporary. I mean, people do pick jobs and money over clean air all the time. We continue to do it all the time and the economy will come roaring back at some point and so will pollution. So we have to, certainly at QDRIC, our job is to make sure that those costs, those dollars and cents savings, the but like the business case of electrification stays front and center, that that does not get lost in the mix because it's a great period right now for people looking at clean air and the 
the removal of pollutants from their local city air. I live downtown. I love the fact that the air is a little bit cleaner now and it's not blackening my lungs as much as it normally would. But I know full well that as the economy comes back, those, those environmental sentiments will dissipate. And we really need to get back to the dollars and cents of the business case that drive these things forward. Let's talk just a little bit more about the recovery. Um, so as you mentioned, and as we mentioned earlier in the show, ridership of public transit has gone down dramatically, especially in commuter services, uh, such as Go Transit in Toronto uh, and Mark here in Maryland. Um, are you all looking at all about ways that we can recover our ridership in the future? Yeah, absolutely. So one of our big stimulus bids that we're putting together right now to the federal government in Canada, and I'll be reaching out to American colleagues to see if we can do a North make a play around this, is we've got a whole group of universities and colleges that are our members at QTRIC, um, over 20 universities and colleges. And we've usually gone to them to form clusters of innovation around electrified vehicles and autonomous vehicles and big data. But now we're in this crisis, so we're reaching out to them to say, hey, if you had a little bit of tax dollars, what could you do to actually research best practices for how to bring riders back to transit in the next six months and the next nine months and the next 12 months? So we're pulling together about 20 universities and colleges right now, and we're putting together a proposal to the federal government to say we could actually get a whole host of research projects started up in the next 30 days that would have recommendations, plans of actions, and ideas around how to get people back into transit and maybe even encourage increase in ridership in the next six months to nine months, because we all know that that's going to happen. And that includes everything from better planning around um, uh, seat design and where people need to go to capturing people's views about the kind of information they need. So if they're standing at a stop or they are connected to the local uh, Twitter feed of the local transit agency, what do people want in terms of information that will make them feel secure to get on that bus or on that subway? These are things that we can solve through social science research. So we're going to pull that together to make sure we have some good ideas coming out to get people back on the vehicles. But I'll say that there's a second large component, and this is the large policy push that qtrick has been advocating for for years, we really need to look at road pricing in this country and across North America. And you might not think that that's linked to COVID, but it absolutely is. We've all talked about the fact that people will only feel secure in their cars now. They won't feel secure squished like a sardine on a bus during crush capacity. So if people start feeling more secure in cars than they do in transit, that means a really bad thing for congestion and road traffic and people getting into cars and people trying to buy cars and use cars rather than public mobility. The only way to balance that driver is to start pricing roads as one of the trigger effects to make people think again about getting into a car or buying a car for the long term. We really need to look at road pricing as a COVID mitigation strategy. We've always looked at it as a way to fund infrastructure and buses and technology, but we never looked at it as a way to really trigger to people the signal that the long term is not the automobile. So we got to figure out the social science around helping people to get back on transit and we have to figure out the economics of road pricing to keep them out of their cars. You'd mentioned earlier in the program that you have a big online conference coming up. Uh, tell us a little bit about that and how, and finally, how people might be able to join it if they'd like to. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we, like everybody, had our annual conference planned for this year. And all we do, as I said, is low carbon smart mobility. So our conference is only ever focused on electric busing, hydrogen fuel cell busing, autonomous shuttles, and now big data for data optimization. And when this all struck, you know, as you know, most conferences canceled. Um, and my position is, look, we're an innovation consortium. If there's anybody who can innovate their way out of a pandemic, it better be us. Like we better set the standard because if we cancel and think it's too hard and sit down 
down and cry, nobody will forgive us and they shouldn't forgive us because <laughs> we're an innovation consortium. So we went on the hunt for how do we digitize it? And frankly, Qtrick is already a very digital team. Uh, we're distributed across the country. We're a very tech savvy kind of team. So we digitized it and it's now fully launched and fully virtual platform. And folks can come to our website, which is www.qtrick-critique, which is the French acronym.org. It's very complicated uh, website. So it's best if you just Google Qtrick and you'll come up to it. Uh, and you'll see that the conference actually has more content than we would have had had we had it in person. So we're seeing a lot more pickup. Sessions are all about getting to zero emissions with electric, getting to zero emissions with hydrogen fuel cell, getting to autonomous connected shuttles for first kilometer, last kilometer, or first mile, last mile, depending on what side of the 49th parallel you're on, and big data for data optimization, tracking and logging all buses to optimize routes for GHG reductions. That's What's coming up. Uh, June 17th to the 19th and the early bird rate's still open. So we really encourage people to participate. And really one of the reasons of virtualizing it was people around the world can now participate and not have to get in an airplane to do it. So we know that it's a new platform for a lot of folks, but we're an innovative industry and transit needs to be on the cutting edge. So I strongly welcome people participating to show that they are part of the innovation solution. That's great. Josipa Petrunic, Executive Director and CEO of the Canadian Urban Transit Research and Innovation Consortium. Thank you so much for being with us today as our guest on Transit Unplugged. Thanks so much, Paul. Good day. This is Mike Bismeyer, Regional Sales Director of Proterra, and this is Mike's Minute. As you know, we typically talk about random acts of kindness, mentorship, leadership, and other attributes with the hopes that it will inspire you to pay it forward this week. Well, I'd like to call out an amazing initiative this past week by the employees and their families of TTC and Go Transit in Ontario. They decorated vehicles that paraded around Hospital Row in downtown Toronto as a salute to the healthcare workers. Employees and their families created signs, posters, and carried out the decorations to provide a heartwarming salute that I'm sure was appreciated by all. I think it was another message of the power of people coming together. It also reminded me one of the great mentors I had when I was struggling with a decision early in my career, and I remember him saying to me, Mike, the key to every tough decision is understanding how it affects everybody else but yourself. Then you'll make the right one. I think as we move through this pandemic, we see the power of our decisions and the power of people coming together for the greater good of everyone but themselves. Keep kind, keep safe, keep listening. Have a great week. enjoyed the newsmaker interview and the headline news and now we take a look at our book the future of public transportation it's available online for purchase at amazon and also at barnes and noble uh, both for electronic download on amazon and softback copies and people all over the world are sending me notes about how much they're enjoying the book the future of public transportation they're taking the opportunity when this quote unquote downtime, although many of us are working harder than we ever have, but there is some of downtime. You don't have all the driving back and forth to the office in most places, and they're trying to grow their knowledge base. And so they're taking a look at the future of public transportation in this book written by 40 of the world's leading experts on public transportation. Today, I'm going to be reading from chapter 41 by my good friend, Bakara Sanderson Malden, who is director of policy and innovation at the New Orleans Regional Transit Authority and her chapter is entitled, Equity is the Future of Public Transportation. Today, I don't have enough time to read the whole chapter, but I wanted to read a portion of the chapter that focuses on paratransit, which of course is near and dear to my heart. I truly believe that if public transportation is to fulfill its mandate for mobility, we must never forget those who 
don't really have much mobility without us helping them. They uh, are very dependent on this transit and we have to make sure we're providing it safely, efficiently, reliably, and with world-class customer service. On page 387, Bakara says, paratransit is often referred to as the biggest unfunded mandate in public transportation. However, the future of this industry is in its ability to take care of our aging and disabled customers. The customer base is growing in alarming numbers. A generation of baby boomers re reaching senior citizen status combined with a corresponding uptick in chronic illnesses has challenged how the medical and social services communities address the critical need of providing care for our nation's low income elderly population. In a similar way, persons with disability are desiring and demanding in great numbers the ability to lead full and productive lives. Without adequate access and transportation, this is simply not possible. This crisis of sorts has greatly impacted uh, by our industry's ability to design transportation networks that are accessible by both seniors and persons with disability. She says currently 3.6 million individuals do not access medical care because they experience transportation barriers. And that's, on a, that's from a study called Stanford Social Innovation from a few years ago. Uh, nationwide, this is the third leading cause of missed appointments. Transit agencies have a great opportunity to serve this population in non-traditional ways, including brokering non-emergency medical transportation to access additional funding from sources outside of traditional FTA programs. She says, during my tenure as executive director at the Birmingham Regional Paratransit Consortium, we began to explore direct partnerships with medical providers to close the missed appointment gap. During that six-month pilot period, missed appointments were reduced by 30%, and our overall ridership went up by 15%. Technology also plays a large role in providing access for seniors and persons with disabilities. Advances in demand response dispatching software will make traditional paratransit operations flow more like its microtransit counterparts, with shorter lead times and greater efficiency due to the advances in mapping. Technology makes it easier for families, social workers, and personal care attendants to assist with securing the transportation needed to get their loved one or patient where they need to go. The landscape is full of challenges, but also many emerging potential solutions and promising examples that lead us to believe that there is a bright future ahead for our seniors and customers with disabilities. So that's a, that's a, a segment, a portion of reading from our book, The Future of Public Transportation, Chapter 41, written by Bakara Sanderson Molden who works now in New Orleans at the Regional Transit Authority there, a good friend and a leader in APTA uh, on the board and executive uh, committee of APTA for many years. She's been uh, an, an, an active national leader for us, and we really appreciate her involvement in the book. Thanks so much for being with us. Remember that Comfort's Corner now comes to you every other week, uh, and in between the two weeks, on the 15th and 30th of the month, we bring you our regular uh, Transit Unplugged series. Uh, this, this last week, we brought you uh, the CEO of LA Metro, Phil Washington, and we've got an exciting episode coming up for you next week on the regular Transit Unplugged will be Nuria Fernandez, who is chairwoman of APTA and heads up VTA in Silicon Valley. And it's a great interview. So make sure you have subscribed to our, uh, to our Transit Unplugged podcast so you never miss an episode. This is Paul Comfort. Stay safe out there.